Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another Friday episode of Locked on Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. The weekend is here. We are less than four weeks away from the 2020 NFL Draft. Hopefully some answers and some clarity on what the Miami Dolphins are actually going to do in this critical time of their rebuild. If you missed yesterday's show, we talked about defensive haves and have-nots for the Miami Dolphins in 2020 based on their actions in free agency and what personnel they now have at their disposal. We are going to do the same thing today on the offensive side of the football today, but not before we dig into two pretty notable bits of information that pertain to the Miami Dolphins. The first one being a number of the Miami Dolphins, new Miami Dolphins, had introductory virtual press conferences yesterday to meet with the South Florida media for the first time. And it was a pretty eye-opening experience to hear what all these players had to say about why they were interested in coming to Miami. And it's a big win for the Dolphins to hear what kind of impact the foundation this team has set had in convincing these players to come to Miami. So you heard former New England Patriots like Ted Karras, Elaine Robertson, Kyle Van Noy all reference Brian Flores and his presence as a critical deciding factor in their decision to come to Miami and why it was, quote, easy to come to Miami because you knew what you were getting in a, pl- in a coach that valued his relationships with his players but wanted to win and had the right, as perceived by former New England Patriots, the right demeanor to win at the NFL level. Uh, Kyle Van Noy said, I respect Flores as a coach, what he brings to the table, what he's all about on the field and off. As you guys have grown to know him a little bit better, I feel like you guys are getting a sense of how he is as a person, as a coach, and you would probably kind of wish you could play for him if you played football. This is the payoff. This is what the Dolphins have not had in a really long time is the ability to have a strong culture and perception. And you hear so many Dolphins that were a part of the Joe Philbin years and the Adam Gase years, and they leave this organization, they go elsewhere, and they talked about just how toxic the environment here was. And you think about extending beyond the player-to-coach relationships, the, the management-to-coaching staff relationships that existed with this team with Jeff Ireland and Tony Sperano and then Jeff Ireland and Joe Philbin and Joe Philbin eventually winning out that battle and nobody, they couldn't get anybody to hire to come onto the the staff to be the general manager. So it was Dennis Hickey for a year and then he was out. It was uh, Chris Greer and Mike Tannen. So the Dolphins getting the managerial side of the coin right and getting the right people at the top of the organization is a huge win for this team. Trickling all the way down from management to coaching staff, Brian Flores being a key piece of the puzzle as to why former Patriots wanted to be here. 
and even extended to Brian Flores' assistant coaching staff. Shaq Lawson mentioned Marion Hobby by name when he talked about why he came to Miami. He said, I just had a great, great relationship with defensive line coach Marion Hobby down there. He coached me for three years of college football at Clemson, and then he, and he developed me into the football player I am. So that made my decision easy to go down there because I know I have guys I'm familiar with. Notable names. Kyle Van Noy, Ted Karras, Shaq Lawson. Eric Flowers came because he saw this as a good opportunity to come home. You know, he played his, his high school ball and his college ball at, in Miami. Eric Flowers said, I loved Washington, but at the end of the day, playing in Miami was a chance for me to come home. It's where I'm from. It's where I grew up. I've been here my whole life. And to do it at a pro level, for me, it was a really tough choice. But I feel like it was the right choice as far as what I've always dreamed of being able to do and where I always wanted to play. And for Eric Flowers specifically, you know, having that intrinsic want to be here holds value for the Dolphins because you're going to need that want to be here. You're going to need that positive mindset to take the coaching that the Dolphins coaching staff is going to give you because they're going to push players. Brian Flores has openly talked about they, they want to be focused on player development. You saw the player development in 2019, and the way that that materializes is by coaching guys hard and expecting a lot of them and commanding a lot of them, but also having that relationship side of it that Brian Flores showed in 2019. And as a new influx of talent would suggest what he did with the Patriots, he's capable of producing. So as a Dolphins fan, you have to feel great about the motivation that players had in determining they wanted to come to Miami. The other important thing that we discuss before we get into the offensive haves and have-nots and the philosophy that the Dolphins team is probably going to implement, and I say probably because we have some track record with Shane Gailey, but we don't know 100% for sure. The NFL sent out a memo to all 32 teams, despite feedback from general managers, that the draft is going to go on as scheduled for April 23rd, 24th and 25th. Three-day event. General managers are saying, listen, with the COVID-19 situation in this country and the travel restrictions and the, the stress on the healthcare system, we're going to have a really hard time accommodating and getting medical information on players, confirming testing numbers on players. And there's some players we haven't spent enough time with. We don't know if they're going to be good fits for our locker room, our organization. The NFL said too bad. And the dynamics here for the Dolphins and the other 31 teams in the NFL is this is a total crapshoot this year. You can take your expectations and flush them down the toilet because it's very difficult to project. Teams may elect based on not having information. They want to get the hell out of these picks. They want to trade out. They want to move their picks to 2021 when it's back to status quo. If there's a bunch of teams falling all over each other to trade out, does the cost of trading go down? If there's teams that want to be aggressive and be sharks, it's like anything else with supply and demand and, and perceived value and 
there's going to be people who sell and there's going to be people who, who buy when there is an opportunity and market valuation of picks is altered based on unknown variables. You're going to see teams that buy and they buy hard. You're going to see teams that sell their picks and want the safer play and move them to 2021. Which boat will the Dolphins be in? How much trust do they have in their scouting staff? I don't have those answers, but that is a pressing question that over the course of the next three and a half weeks, we need to watch very closely. Because as we get closer, I expect we will get some clarity. But again, because of the unknown circumstance here, the unprecedented scenario we're faced with with COVID-19 and, and the impact on you know this country and, and the league and the potential 2020 NFL season and college football season, it's, it's a mess right now on so many levels. And from a football operations standpoint, Flip a coin. You could see demand and price on picks go through the roof because there's a lot of teams that want to get aggressive and take advantage of the market of teams desperate to move out. You may see apprehension from teams. And the teams that do buy can get buys on a discount. It's going to be a risky proposition, and it's going to be a fascinating one to see play out, but it is a new dynamic for the Dolphins draft in 2020 and having extra capital in 2021, how do they choose to address it? wanted to set the table with that because it's becoming apparent as we get closer and closer to the draft that there's going to be some new, unprecedented dynamics with the draft this year. We'll be right back after this brief pause. We're going to get into the haves and have-nots for the Miami Dolphins 2020 offense after free agency, but before the 2020 NFL draft. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Welcome back, everybody. Let's talk Miami Dolphins offense. Let's talk philosophically what we are doing. I've alluded to this a number of times over the course of the past couple weeks of how I think the Dolphins can blend what Chan Gailey does and has done with what Alabama did with Tua Tungovaloa. And the end result being philosophically somewhat like what you saw at Alabama. Dolphins obviously need to get the personnel in place to run this. This conceptually, you look at what the Buffalo Bills were in 2010 when Chan Gailey was the head coach of this football team. He was head coach from 2010 through 2012, three seasons. Offense never really showed that well, but the personnel they had was great. Ryan Fitzpatrick's the key trigger man here for this, these offenses in Buffalo. Both Buffalo and New York. New York in 2015 is the best example that I have. I'm looking at the personnel in 2010 in Buffalo, and you've got Marshawn Lynch, who was hurt, didn't get a chance to play. Fred Jackson and C.J. Spiller at the running back positions. Wide receivers, Stevie Johnson, who had a couple 1,000-yard seasons. Lee Evans as a speedy guy. David Nelson. And the prominent takeaways here, and then you go to New York, and the running back lead back is Chris Ivory. The leading receivers, Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, both who went over 1,000 yards in 2015. 
the prominent takeaway here is size at wide receiver, powerful downhill runners in the run game. You look at the Dolphins, Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, size at wide receiver, Jordan Howard, downhill between the tackles running. The Jets' uh, offensive line in 2015 with Chan Gailey and Ryan Fitzpatrick and Chris Ivory, Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall. Some notable names, Shaw Ferguson, powerful offensive tackle, has some parallels to an Andrew Thomas, James Carpenter at guard, Nick Mangold at center, bunch of first-round picks. They had three first-round picks on this offensive line. Nick Mangold played in 164 games, spent his entire career with the Jets, and he's a power-type center. So for the Dolphins, they have a number of pieces here, and that's why the Eric Flowers signing also makes sense. James Carpenter, who came out of Alabama, 6'5", 321 size component on the interior. The Dolphins, if the offense looks like what it did under the past Chan Gailey regimes, they're going to run the ball downhill, they're going to try and reset the line of scrimmage, and they're going to put you in a bind to try and space the field and simultaneously stack the box. If they look to commit to the run game, they will then build their vertical shots and play action passing built off of that. And with the way the league has trended to to build out more RPO-style passing concepts, you can then isolate a receiver on the backside of a play and tag him on a slant pass. And if you get off coverage or if the linebacker sucks up, you you pull the ball, you throw the slant. A lot of what you saw at Alabama this past year with Tua. So conceptually, it, it makes sense. Along the offensive line, let's start there to get into some of the nitty-gritties. Your offensive tackles, you want road graders, and you want length. You want to be able to encapture the ability to reset the line of scrimmage and move forward to create uneven levels on the line of scrimmage so that your backs have clear gaps that they can run into. If you tell your back we want to run 23, which would be to the left between the guard and tackle, that tackle has to be able to win real estate and move that defensive end half-step out. Or if you've got a tight end outside of him and the end is walked up outside, maybe the guard and tackle have to combo block where they double-team a three-technique, a defensive tackle who's lined up in the B-gap between the guard and tackle and, and move him off the ball, move him a yard off the ball, and then the tackle disengages and climbs up to a linebacker on the second level. Playing forward is the big, big asset here. And then the length becomes important because a lot of times when you get these big mauler road road grading style blockers in the run game, a lot of times you make some concessions in their grace and ability to play in space because they have to have more muscle mass and density and power to coil forward. So the length becomes important because as a pass protector on the outside, having the ability to extend your arms and the longer your arms are, the more 
resistance you can provide at a further distance away from your body that will then force pass rushers to have to turn and turn across your outside hip at steeper angles. And the steeper that angle is, the more difficult it is to play with power unless you are a very rare breed of an athlete, a Miles Garrett, a Von Miller, with the bend that you have to work in short spaces and, and carry that with speed. So from an offensive tackle perspective, that's why I personally feel like the Mackay Beckton's and Andrew Thomas's of the world are going to be high up for the Dolphins. Because these guys have massive length, they have a lot of power, they can play forward and reset the line of scrimmage. On the interior, the mobility factor is not quite as important, but again, it comes back to raw power. Uh, when you run a gap-slash-power-style running system, you get more pulls for leads up into the hole. And, you know, if you've got a, a center guard and the guard has to pull, a lot of times you'll have a center on a back block where he's blocking the guy that's lined up over top of the guard so that the guard can loop around and get up into the hole. So having some mobility, there's a, a clip that's out there of Eric Flowers who went to pull last year, and uh, he looked really good until it was time for first contact, and he just kind of threw himself at the play. But Flowers, with prior experience at tackle, typically you have to be a little bit more nimble to play at tackle than you do at guard. So his athleticism plays well to play as a guard and was a key variable in him having somewhat of a career re renaissance moving inside to guard playing for Bill Callahan and the Washington Redskins, who, by the way, ran a lot of gap power concepts. So your interior offensive line, got to be able to pull, got to have some hip mobility. But again, it's the, it's the power component up front. The more compact and, and tight your hands are to the inside of chest of, of defensive linemen to consistently put those punches on the chest, on the numbers of defenders, and then you can establish your hand fit, chop, chop your feet, drive guys offline scrimmage, create those uneven levels. That is what is paramount for the run game for Miami if they're going to follow the trend that was set with Buffalo with Fred Jackson and Marshawn Lynch and, and in New York with Chris Ivory. Chris Ivory rushed for 1,000 yards in 2015 under Chan Gailey, uh, and he is also a bigger back. So that's the trend. That's what the tea leaves read for Miami. So that's why if you're looking for who else they might come out and get, look for guys who can work between the tackles and thrive between the tackles. Chris Ivory is 6'2", 223 pounds. So, like, I wouldn't put it past Miami to go out and get Jonathan Taylor. I think they'd like to get J.K. Dobbins because he gives you more of a three-down skill set. But if you were to pair Taylor with Jordan Howard, you've got two backs that are capable of doing the same thing. You can kind of ease Taylor in, make sure you take care of his ball security issues, give him a year or two to split carries where Taylor's touched the ball over 900 times in three years at Wisconsin. Give his legs a little bit of a rest before we make him the bell cow again. So that's from a running game perspective. That's what's to expect. From the offensive line perspective, your interior group needs some hip mobility to be able to pull out in space and not be labored and take a lot of time to do so. But ability to play forward in the run game. Your offensive tackles, that's why the length is at a paramount for them, to steepen those angles on the outside. 
and the power in the run game to, again, create the uneven levels so that if you tell your back, go to the B-gap. He should go there. There should be a crease. That's something Miami did not do at all last year. So that's why this offensive line overhaul is so important. We're getting into wide receiver specifics, and we're going to get into tight end and quarterback specifics right after this brief pause. So keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. We'll be right back after this. Okay, let's talk pass catchers. I would expect the Dolphins are going to run a lot of 11 personnel under Chan Gailey. And if you're not familiar with NFL personnel groupings, 11 personnel is one tight end and one running back. So kind of a single back, not a traditional I formation, quote-unquote pro style from the, the 90s and early 2000s, where you got a fullback in there as well. No, this is probably shotgun, single back. A lot of times you'll probably see Mike Gusecki flexed out and acting as a big slot. So you've got big size at wide receiver with Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, and then your slot in your base defense or base offense, if you're running 11 personnel at your base, is Mike Gusecki and then a back in uh, J.K. Dobbins or John, Jordan Howard. And the value here is if you've got an athlete like Mike Gusecki, and you detach him from the formation, and you walk him out and put him in the slot. Defensive coordinators are going to look, and they're going to see that you've got your tight end on the field, so they're going to keep a linebacker in because it's possible for you to go heavy. Or they're going to bring in an extra heavy safety. But you've got to account for that spacing issue, and this is why Miami running horizontal spread, they're going to have three receivers, a tight end, a running back and a quarterback. A lot of times, you know, that, that's the 11 personnel grouping, right? So when you take the tight end, teams are going to see that you've got the tight end. They're going to choose to either stay in base defense or they're going to bring in a heavy safety. But if you flex that tight end out outside the hash, your linebacker or your big safety then has to split the difference. So you're playing the numbers game where you're lightening the load in the box. And that's where we get into the bind that the Dolphins are probably going to look to place on opposing teams, where you take an athletic tight end. He's still a tight end in classification, so you have to account for that. But you play him like a wide receiver, and now you're removing a linebacker from the box and putting him out closer to the hash so that it's easier for you to get numbers in the running game. And then, talking about building off of what Alabama did with Tua, if you run RPO style off of that, if you put Devontae Parker as the isolated receiver on one side of the field, the short side of the field, and you build in three, two receivers and Mike Gusecki on the open side of the field, so it's a three-by-one formation, and you run downhill, and you run a couple of times downhill, and because you got three receivers put out to the open side of the field, you're going to have at least three defenders out there, possibly a fourth to split the difference. Start getting into the numbers game. Start adding up how many people are in the box. You're going to put this team in a bind, and that, that safety or that space defender is going to start to, to creep in, and those linebackers are going to start to suck up. So after some success with spacing the field and attacking downhill, then you can build in, let's go over the top. Let's pull the ball out in the exact same play, 
Jordan Howard thinks it's a run. The offensive line treats it like a run, but this is a quick hitting slant pass. Devontae Parker with his size is going to get inside leverage, run a slant inside. Boom, he can catch the ball. If the linebackers suck up hard enough, he might just have to beat the safety one-on-one. He's off to the races. That's the appeal to philosophically what the Dolphins are going to try to do. And Miami having young guys like Preston Williams and Devontae Parker is attractive because we saw the Jets have success with this. Brandon Marshall at 1,500 yards in 2015. And he had 1,500 yards as a 31-year-old and 14 touchdowns with, with Ryan Fitzpatrick at the helm. As a quarterback, you have to have a lot of the same intangibles bits that we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick showcase throughout the course of 2019. You've got to be able to consistently get your team into the right protection. You've got to be able to assess the line of scrimmage, make sure that you've got the right matchups. You know where your positive matchups are. This is why I think Joe Burrow would be such a great fit for the Dolphins because that's what the entire LSU offense this past year was predicated on. Tua is a little bit more limited moving beyond his first read, but his first read was so consistently open in college in 2019 because he had great wide receivers, and schematically it's very difficult to stop and account for this. So Tua hammered those slants, and people were like, oh, you know, Tua Tua got a bunch of false production just by hitting receivers in slants and and hitting guys in stride. It's like, well, yeah, but that's kind of how Miami looks like they're going to be building this thing. And Mike Gusecki's a really important chess piece because he runs routes, he can get vertical. If you leave him against tight ends and you're up at the line of scrimmage as the quarterback, whether it's Tua or Ryan Fitzpatrick or whoever, and you see, oh God, they got a tight end flexed on him, they got split safety, look, middle of the field's going to be open, we got Gusecki in the slot, run him up the seam, put the ball over the top, that linebacker can't run with Mike Gusecki. And if you got a safety on him, Mike should be able to sky over top of this guy. Excited for what Mike Kosecki could do. Got to look back to 2010, Scott Chandler, the tight end for the Buffalo Bills. This is kind of the model that you should be rooting for. Scott Chandler, I'm sorry, it was 2012. Gailey's last year there with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick threw for 3,400 yards, 24 touchdowns, 16 picks. Uh, Leading receivers on this team, we had Stevie Johnson, over 1,000 yards. Second leading receiver on the team. Scott Chandler, 571 yards and six touchdowns. Scott Chandler's like 6'7", 270. He's not as athletic as Mike, but the catch radius is there. That's the archetype. That's the track record with Chan. Wide receivers, I do think from a a size and route running component, we have two guys that can play through press coverage pretty well. In Preston and Devontae. Preston obviously getting healthy from the knee injury he suffered in 2019. A little bit more technique in his game. Will be interesting to see how big he takes off. I do think Miami would be well served getting a speed guy that you feel like you can trust to get high snaps. I don't know if the answer to that proposition is Alan Hearns. I don't know if the proposition to that is Albert Wilson. I don't know if the answer to that is Jakeem Grant, unfortunately. I mean, we're just being honest with the durability of some of these guys. It's, it's a question, which is why if you start bringing up, well, if Henry Ruggs is there at 18, Henry Ruggs ain't going to be there at 18. I know Denver loves him. I know the Eagles would probably love to have him. And getting back to the market of, you know, 
what teams are going to choose to do with the 2020 draft with all the uh, unique conditions around that you may see sometimes teams will say, you know what, if we feel like we're close, let's go get two guys and trade up and, and let's say to hell with some of these extra picks. Teams trading up, I have a hard time seeing Henry Ruggs be there at 18, but he would, of course, with his blazing 427 four, speed, be a home run fit, obviously, the chemistry with Tua. This is assuming Tua is the pick at quarterback. But if Joe Burrow's not going to be there, and if the Dolphins want a quarterback that fits what their structure looks to be gearing towards based off of Chan Gailey's past track record, and they want a guy with a plus locker room persona that they have no questions is going to galvanize his teammates, it's Tua. It's Joe Burrow and Tua are the two guys. Question is, how much do you need to worry about not getting them? That's a question for another day, but that's all we're going to have here on Locked On Dolphins. So if we went through offensive haves and have-nots, they do not have offensive tackles on this roster. Even Jesse Davis. I think Jesse Davis is probably, in a perfect world, he's your swing tackle. I don't trust his functional play strength to play at guard full-time, but I don't think he has the, the road-grading power and the length to play at tackle at a high level to what Miami would ideally like their tackles to be. So I know this team likes Jesse Davis, but I don't see where he fits into a long-term piece of the puzzle based off the track record that we have of what Chan Gailey's offense has traditionally looked like. And if they're going to build this offense in Alabama's image, Jesse's probably a depth player. I think they've got Eric Flowers, who makes sense. Ted Garris can work. I don't think he's a true mauler, but I think he can work at center and give him the chance to prove he can be that, that piece long-term. So we need a right tackle, and a left tackle. We probably need a right guard. I think we got a really good tight end in Mike Gusecki for this style system. we got good outside receivers. We need a slot. We need another running back. And, of course, we need a quarterback. So lots on the wish list. But the Dolphins have plenty of ammunition, and they may even have more opportunities based on if teams want to buy or sell in the 2020 NFL Draft. I'm Kyle Krabs. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Locked on Dolphins. I hope you enjoy your weekend. Relax, kick your feet up, watch some tape. You're running out of time to get to know these 2020 NFL Draft prospects. I'm Kyle Krabs. I'll talk with you guys again on Monday. Thanks, as always, for listening to Locked on Dolphins.